0: Welcome to the Unbranded Podcast with Miss Dean Loves You, where we have interesting conversations with interesting people and learn about unconventional ways to live our best lives. I'm your host, Susie Dean. I'm a former teacher, mother in her MILF era, and wife. I have the incredible experience now of exploring topics and ways of living that I've always been curious about. The conversations on this pod are always relaxed, authentic, and might just teach you a thing or two. I promise that every episode will leave you with a deeper sense of self and understanding for those who are different from you. So get comfy cozy, grab a drink of your choice, and let's have some fun together. Today, I sit down with Sid. And I'm so excited for you to listen in on this conversation because Sid became a new friend of mine, and I think it's so cool for you guys to hear how that happens. Sid is the woman behind the Instagram Healing Me and We. She's also the creator of resources and coaching programs designed to help you and others break free of toxic family patterns and heal intergenerational trauma. She also has some beautiful insight and information regarding healing trauma through your menstrual cycle, which is something I had never heard of before, but you'll hear a bit more about at the end of the episode. Sid has an incredible story, which you will hear about in detail. All you need to know now is that I have no idea how someone who had all of the odds stacked up against her was able to break free, choose a different path, and now hold the hands of individuals who need a guide to break free as well. She's intelligent, inspiring, adorable, wise, and I know that you will be just as inspired by her and get fuzzies in your tummy just like I did. In this episode, though, we do talk about childhood trauma and touch on suicide, drug use, suicide attempts, and sexual trauma. If any of these will be a trigger for you, go ahead and skip this episode. Also, while editing, I eliminated, eliminated the names of Sid's brother and daughter to protect their identities, so if you hear any weird pauses in sentences, that's why. So sip that crisscross applesauce and get ready to soak up so much of this wisdom. Sid, welcome to the Unbranded Podcast. Okay, so I I don't know how to start this conversation other than tell me your story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god <sighs> everyone is always like so what happened and I'm like you know what where do I begin
0: okay. Right.
1: so I guess all right so a little bit about my story um I was a child born to a single mother she had three kids and essentially from a very young age like things were just not right uh from a very very young age things were really really rough there was a lot of exposure to domestic violence substance abuse um and just for lack of better terms very violent and toxic relationships for my mother and her partners and so growing up around her i didn't really understand why we were you know with those men or doing the things that we were uh however it's just like you know as a child you kind of have you're at the mercy of your parent you have to go along with your parent So basically what ended up happening was for the longest amount of time, it was just my mom and I, as my older brother was with us for like some of my beginning of my childhood, but then he was old enough to go live with his dad. So I was about six years old when he went to go and do that. And then it was just me. So it was me and my mom where I was constantly feeling like I had to be her protector, constantly feeling like I was having to parent my mother, constantly feeling like I had to, you know, lecture her on the rights and wrongs of life. And from a very early age, I realized a lot of, um, I would say for lack of a better term, forced independence, you know, like I was kind of having to be the independent person because I had no other choice. So when my little brother came along, my mom told me that she was pregnant when I was like eight or nine years old. And I remember feeling incredibly resentful, (laughs) like super, super resentful, very upset at the fact that we were going to be having another child. And I say we, because I very much felt as though, you know, I was, I was in it (laughs) with my mother. And when she told me that she was pregnant, I just knew that it wasn't, I was like, how are you going to take care of this child when you're not taking care of this child? So my younger brother was born uh, when I was just about 10 years old, like two months prior to. And since then, that's just when I have been caretaking for him. A lot of times, you know, it was me missing a lot of school to take care of him. It was me having to, you know, have those arguments with my mom or intervene in those those arguments that she was having with her partners uh, until I got to the point where they were just such great power dynamics between my mom and myself that I had to leave. So when I was about 17 years old, I ended up becoming emancipated. So that means that basically I'm just free from my mother's parental authority and guardianship. And it allowed me to legally work within the actions of an adult without having the capabilities of an adult. So I could enter into contracts. I could open my own bank account. I could sign a lease. I could do all of those things, but I could not, of course, you know, go to the bars or uh, purchase any any sort of substances. And uh, I couldn't do certain legal things. So very, very minute, but still, right? Like just to have those separations. And when I was 16 and I had to leave home, it was simply because at that point in time, I had discovered Like it had always been a super, like a kind of a suspicion. I'd been like super paranoid that my mom was on substances and that she was using those with her partners. And when I had actually been taken out of the home was because of the fact that I then had proof of such. I found it. I saw it. There was no getting out of it. There was no more speculation. It was, this is what this is. This is what's going on. And so CPS had been involved since my little brother was like, three years old because that was the first time my mother let us be alone for like a week on end and so (laughs) I know I know I it's always yeah we'll
0: come back to that
1: (laughs) it's always like one of those things where it's like whoa what um (sighs) but that was like frequent my friends like till this day will call me and be like, hey, remember that one time your mom like, left for like four days? And I'm like, yeah, I remember that. And it wasn't like we were like teenagers who, you know, had first aid right. or anything right. for young preteens. And so it was just with an accumulation of failed, you know, failed help with CPS, uh, multiple endless arguments with my mother. Uh, A really unsafe, unhappy environment for myself and the need to see, okay what has to be done so that my little brother isn't put into the same position when I leave home, when I age out. Right. So at that point in time, when I had to leave, I obviously was a minor, so I could not take my little brother. So that was one of the things that everybody was kind of like you know what, you will be emancipated, but you can't enter into legal proceedings as an emancipated youth with your mother to get your little brother. It's just (laughs) not viable. So when I was 19 years old, and I had been out of the house for a long time, had my own home, and had also at that point in time discovered that I was pregnant with my daughter, I had kind of sat down with myself and had to evaluate, well, my little brother really needs out. There was a catalytic event that transpired where two of my family members passed within five days of each other, which my mother took really hard. And that was kind of what put her really over the edge and put him into even more danger than he was in before. Uh, And so when I was there and I witnessed that and, you know, I'm already bringing this baby into the world, it's not fair for me to leave this baby behind. So at that point in time, I just buckled up and I (laughs) decided to do my absolute best. I contacted CPS again because they're just a part of the system. They're another government entity that you've got to alert that has to be involved. Whether or not they're going to be of any help is, you know, specific for every situation. But in our stance, they were not. Um, And what happened was, although we had displayed for them all the evidence and although my little brother had expressed to them his concerns and his experiences with our mom and, you know, his accounts of both emotional and physical abuse and being exposed to drugs himself like he had also found them in her possession so it wasn't even just me uh they decided to still put him back so i wasn't having any of that i knew that they were just going to fail him so i took it upon myself to challenge cps i challenged my mom and i utilized that catalytic event that transpired to obtain a protection order which means that it's basically like more severe than a restraining order it's This is something that is extremely dangerous, or this is a relationship that's extremely dangerous. Without further explanation, if the judge or the justice feels as though that there is enough of the story or there is enough of a history to warrant this action, then the emergency production order is there to basically buy you time until you go to court to obtain a restraining order. So it gets put into place absolutely immediately the second that the judge or the justice issues it. Now, what this EPO had included was because I had told the judge that my mother was trying to drink and drive with my younger brother and was grieving and was, you know, enacting off of the history of this behavior, Uh, he decided to grant me the emergency protection that would extend to my little brother, which is incredibly unheard of. Okay, One of the things that every lawyer I've seen is like, I've never seen this before. And that's one of the reasons why Child Protective Services tried to fight me on it. They basically got the order and because they had never seen it before and they had already said it was okay for him to go home, they were like, who is she coming in here trying to say what we are not or we are doing, right? And so they did not act when they were supposed to and they waited like over just about, I think, like. 18 or 20 hours before they actually acted on it and I had to keep calling like (laughs) every two hours I was like have you gone to get him yet have you gone to get him um and it was really trying at that time but eventually the I guess like you know the manager of the specific location or you know the head caseworker or whatever just conceded and said yep no this is this is a, a legally binding document we have to abide by it So they went with Edmonton police, which is our local authorities here, and collected him and put him into my care. And he was with me ever since. When that EPO was granted and he was put into my care, I just wasted no time. And Mm -hmm. I filed for parental uh, Mm -hmm. and guardianship rights. And then that was in 2019. In 2021 is when that concluded for the first time. And I was given full guardianship and full parental rights. And then it's basically been that way since, the beginning of this year when I said, okay, let's try 50-50, which did not give my mother any of her powers back. So she couldn't, she couldn't, you know, take him to the doctors or take him to do his education or anything like that. But she had parenting time with him week on week off. And if she had my consent, could do certain things with him. So the issue with 50-50 and where it wasn't working is she didn't have consent from me and was doing things behind my back and was messing with my little brother's schedules with education and with his medical appointments and his dentistry. So it was just a very, very long awaited but necessary thing that I had to get through to prove to the courts that I'm trying my best. I gave her the opportunity, I gave her the chance. And you know, she's still reverting back to these old behaviors. So I guess that is a summary of the (laughs) story. (laughs)
0: And I have so many questions in my mini notebook from that. I think the first thing that I have to say is, obviously, I'm sorry, not just for, I mean, not just for the trauma that you endured, but for the fact that you never had a childhood yourself. And and you have been in a constant state of stress for as long as you can remember. Because even when you left your mom, then you leave your mom, you're emancipated, you're 19, you get pregnant, you're trying to get your brother, you're fighting CPS. Like, what is going on in your life? Are you working? Like, I'm serious. I mean, you're juggling pregnancy (laughs) Um, alone. I mean, like, that alone, I mean, is aggressive. You are fighting for your brother who you obviously have such a dear relationship with. You are fighting legal entities all at the same time. And and then even after all that, you're still in a state of stress because you have to sit back and watch as your mother is continuing these negative patterns with your brother and you just have to sit and watch and wait until enough time has passed to prove that this is not good. Yeah. So first of all, I'm incredibly heartbroken and sorry for that. And I think just going on that, have you had any time to nurture or get to know your inner child?
1: Yes. So firstly in response to like the overall response that you had like i try to tell people like never say sorry for something that you had no control over and i always understand like i get what you mean um but i believe that's one of the things i'm really working through healing is like Mm. i say sorry all the time and it's something that like i've learned to do in my childhood and so i always say say i'm saddened to hear it because that that you're not taking responsibility for it because that's something that I have a, I have a big thing with, I'm like, please don't say sorry to me. Like it also in a way, like sometimes makes me feel as though like I, I feel sad for even sharing cause I don't want you to feel bad for it. You know what I mean? So Thanks. I appreciate it. And I respect like the, it actually makes me emotional that you even said, like you pointed out something that I guess I am aware of, but I don't consider often, which is the fact that I've been in a constant state of stress I'm like the most stressed out person.
0: Of course.
1: (laughs) But I appreciate you saying that because it does feel really nice to have that aspect seen. Um, And then in regards to the inner child portion, yes. So her and I have a very, I'd say strong relationship just because as I welcomed my daughter into the world and as I was raising her, on my own and trying to figure out okay well my mom did this so what do i i do the opposite of that right and so reconnecting to my inner child was necessary because i always had to put myself into rather than my triggered um inner child's kind of position Mm -hmm. of she's crying and i'm stressed out and he's asking for this and this is happening over here and i don't have help or blah 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 it was okay well When my mom was in this situation, she screamed at me and I didn't understand and that hurt. And so now it's, what would my inner child want in that scenario? So I just constantly refer back to her in a, how can I tend to her through tending to my daughter? And so, and likewise, even with my little brother, it's like, I oftentimes will put myself back into my inner child's shoes and ask her, okay, what is it that you want? What is it that you would have wanted to happen? Or who did you need? and oftentimes I'm trying to find the balance of course it's hard but it's like when I'm having really hard days I'm constantly going back to okay why are these feelings coming up where are they coming from is it a uh, myself as an adult or is this my inner child who is feeling triggered and I'm having to go back and give her a little bit of comfort or some reassurance through this time so I haven't had a lot of time I'll say but I've had more than my fair share of instances where I've had to go back regardless if I wanted to or not um yeah like right it's one of those things that it puts you back there and it's like well I can choose to not go back there and I can choose to continue the cycle or I can choose to go back there and make sure it breaks right so I think too I mean a little bit off off of the I, I guess not really off of the idea but one of the things that really helped me reconnect to my inner child like fully and wholeheartedly. It was the first time I ever tried medicinal mushrooms. It was...
0: <laughs> we have to talk about this <laughs> later.
1: I had heard all these stories about different experiences, but I just didn't know how it would be for me. And I know that mindset is one of the biggest things, right? So at this point in my healing journey, I'd put it off for so long, and I had done so much inner child and inner healing work. That I finally got to a point where I was like, okay, I need the next step. And universe just happened to hear that and take into consideration, okay, she's ready. She's done this. She's done this healing work. It's not going to, not going to cause a psychosis, Um, (laughs) right? Because that is like terrifying, but what ended up happening was the first time I ever did it, it was like the day of Christmas or something like that. And it wasn't really all too much there for me. It was a fun time. It was kind of giggly. It was it was fine, but it wasn't very healing. And then the mm-hmm. second time when I had tried these mushrooms that were gifted to me, I was alone by myself and I had no anticipations, no expectations. And I simply just wanted to go with the flow. And during that trip that lasted several hours Uh, I wasn't in a state of hallucination by any means but I was in an extreme euphoric very loving very spiritual emotion and energy and it was at that time when I actually came up with the concept and the idea of healing me and we because Mm. it was the first time I felt like I could love my mom for everything that she had done and really understand where she was coming from and while my mom still hasn't changed her ways, it really connected me to the loving aspect of my inner child. I've always been a very loving person. But of course, loving has hurt. And so that has resulted in me being a little bit more guarded, a little bit more cold. And specifically, so of course, with my mother. And now while I'm not trying to entertain a relationship with her, or, you know, put any effort into that, I still wanted to Let her know that I loved her and that I forgave her and that my inner child understands because Mm -hmm. I had to put myself into my inner child's shoes so often with my daughter that I now understand that my mom just never did that for herself, right? So because of the fact that she didn't do that, that's why I had the childhood that I had. And then likewise, the reason why I put myself into my inner child's shoes is so that my childhood or so my childhood doesn't get projected onto the child that I do have. So I guess, yes, the answer to that is I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of, rather it be unintentional or intentional yeah. work with my inner child. There has been some progress there, not as much as I would like, but definitely right. a good enough amount that there's a good foundation. And I keep seeing these TikToks where people are like, oh, I've healed the inner child, but now here's my yeah. inner teenager. And I'm like, I don't want to deal with that bitch. Oh,
0: God. <laughs> He's not- we're
1: no. not ready for her, so <laughs> I think we've got to do a lot more on the teenager, or sorry, on the, the child side on of the child the teenager, but yeah, Whoa. that's where we are
0: right now. <laughs> no, she scares me. Well, I don't. this isn't like a fully formed thought yet, so it might come out and sound like totally dumb and dick, no, no, but no. through all of this chaos, you were forced to work with your inner child, which is also a blessing. Yeah. Do you see, like, I was just viewing this as like, almost like your inner child from childhood had been needing to be a child since childhood. And through all of this extra chaos that was happening she was she was really capitalizing on it (laughs) it was like Sydney I need to be heard and cared for and we're gonna do it through this Mm -hmm. whether like you said you liked it or not and I'm grateful I'm so grateful for that um because that sucked but you could also have repeated the pattern
1: yeah 100 percent
0: and so now I'm just so heartened for your daughter that she has a mother who is so intentionally doing the 180 of everything that you grew up with. Mm-hmm. And we are lucky, we are all lucky, um, most of, uh, not all, but we most people are lucky enough that they have parents who are doing better than their parents before them yeah but i want to make sure that you acknowledge that you're you're doing a lot of that work in the line of your family yeah. and i i see that and i appreciate that and i know that's so hard thank you so i'm so proud of you and i think you're really dope
1: I really appreciate you saying that. I really, really do. Because girls, sometimes we need that.
0: <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. Was... How old is your daughter now? She's turning four in February.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's so good. What cute a cute me. age. No, it's so good. Like I literally and honestly, this is this is actually one of the funniest things about it is my mother used to tell me, and this is one of the very healing aspects of being inner child was My mother used to tell me all the time, she's like, one day you're going to grow up and you're going to have a daughter and you're going to understand why I am the way I am and how sad it is and how awful it sucks to have to raise a little girl. And after I had my daughter and having my inner child, like, she's not going to be right. She's not going to be right. She's not going to be right. Like, you are going to be different. That was really, really healing because my daughter really did come out to be, like, a mini-me. Like, she – like, I am obsessed with history. I'm obsessed with civilizations, And my daughter is like – yesterday, she's like, Mommy, I'm going to be a paleontologist and you're going to be an Egyptologist. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) That is what I'm going to be. Right? So it's super, super sweet. And I think that you're right. It is a blessing. Because if it wasn't for my daughter and if it wasn't for my brother – Then who knows how long this would have gone on for if I would have been made aware of it, if I would have been conscious and what I would be doing, right?
0: So I want to know also – this was fun. I'm sorry to get back to – I'm saddened (laughs) to go back to the sad stuff.
1: No, you're all good.
0: I want to know how you are protecting your brother's emotions during these last, like, nine months that you've been 50-50.
1: Yeah uh to put it into the simplest way possible i really try my best to just reinforce his boundaries and to encourage him to speak up and stand up for himself and to basically feel comfortable in letting those emotions be both expressed and shown mm. he it has this very bad uh i won't say very bad but he because of our childhood has very much learned to just shut up and be quiet like he'll try to argue a little bit maybe or he'll just be like yep okay and that's it it's just very complacent because he doesn't want to have it be a big issue he doesn't want to get yelled at he doesn't want to get screamed at and so one of my biggest things is kind of coming from like as weird as it is to say like a big brother perspective and I'm like man the fuck Mm. up (laughs) stay like you know stay strong speak your peace have confidence in your peace and know that it is in your hands like I empower him often by saying, like, at the end of the day, if there's something really bad going on, not only do you have me to lean on and you have our brother and you can call for support, but at the end of the day, this is really up to you. And nobody has the right to make you feel as though you can't say your share, you can't express yourself, um, or has the right to make you feel little. So one of the things we've really been working on is just clear communication. I am a big advocate for being able to speak your piece and agree to not agree. I think that we need a lot more of that in the world. And so what I try to say with my brother is if I say something that you don't like, or if I make a rule that you disagree with, or if I have, um, you know, a lesson because I'm Nicholas's teacher, if I have a lesson that you don't want to learn, let's talk about it. I need a valid reason. I need, I need to understand Mm why you want or you don't agree, Let's have a debate and then let's come to a conclusion. We don't have to agree, but we can agree to disagree and we can agree to respect each other at a bare minimum. And so oftentimes he'll, you know, for example, I'll be like, okay, bedtime is this. And he goes, oh, well, I I think that's unfair because of this. And he's like, (laughs) you know, like just trying to play it along. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then there's times when, for example, our mother will pull a stupid and she will show him something in regards to court that she shouldn't be and make comments about myself that she shouldn't be. And it's it's now showing because he's learned that rather than to just sit there and be quiet, his, his emotions matter. He can express them. He can express himself and communicate. So he'll say, actually, no, that's not correct. Or no, Sydney doesn't do that. Or actually, no, because of this. And it's just, I think, giving him confidence in his emotions. He still gets frustrated. He still has times when we absolutely have a cry together or he goes to his room and has Mm a five time, but we're getting to the point where I want him to feel as though he's safe to express those things. So I guess I'm just a playing ground for him to do that. I just try my best to make sure that he knows that regardless if we agree or disagree, we can always have conversations and communication about how you're feeling and your emotions and where you're at and what your ideas are is how you solve most problems in life.
0: It's interesting how it seems like his coping mechanism is just flying under the radar yeah, and not being a problem. But yours, you grew up and you did the opposite.
1: Being the problem?
0: <laughs> no, no, no. Oh,
1: for real, I like that. Well, I mean, yeah, sometimes you do
0: need to be the problem to, like, yeah. fix shit.
1: 100%, right? Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So I'm so glad that you are... Um, filling that area that is missing in him, you know, cause it's like he's, le- it sounds like he's been trained or taught himself to survive. I need to lean really far towards this way to not be a problem, be as small as possible, make everything else easy for everyone else. Yeah. And you're bringing him back into the middle. And it sounds like that's your priority.
1: Yeah, I'm really trying to. I'm really trying to. My, my, my fear is that he turns out to be 18 and goes into his adulthood and then starts to have the painful realizations that I did. Is like when you're unconscious about these things, they come back to bite you, right? They don't just disappear once you move out. So yeah. my hope is that I can educate him, help him to experience, help him to work through as many of these things as possible before he's out my doors. So that Mm -hmm. I don't have to get a phone call saying that he's found himself in a toxic relationship. Or he's, you know, crying about our mom. Or he's upset about his dad. I want to be able to work through these things while we're together. So he has a support. He knows that somebody's always with him. But likewise, then he's prepared to go out into the real world and actually feel for it himself how things really are, right?
0: I want to talk about your mom. Because when you were very first telling me about your childhood, there's a lot of codependence there. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Yeah. Because it sounded like you were parenting your mom and you were you were responsible for her feelings. Um, And I can very much relate to that. Your mother becoming pregnant was the switch. Yeah. When you... Would you say that you were, like, would have considered yourself friends with your mom at that time?
1: No. My mom and I okay.
0: were...
1: I would say I felt as though I stopped being friends with my mom or on good terms with my mom around the age of seven.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So, and that's simply because we moved around a lot. Like every year we moved around and I was always in turbulent situations with her. I was always in very scary situations with her. So by that age, I had realized that she keeps making these mistakes and she is the one who keeps putting me into these situations and so I had definitely disconnected at that point. And while I still obviously wanted to have a relationship with my mother and wanted things to work out and wanted things to get better at that point, I was like, I don't, I don't like you anymore. This is not fun. Wow. This is, you know?
0: Oh man. Yeah. And you were, you were out of school a lot, a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, even before, even before my little brother came around like, my little brother, to put it into perspective, he had like 150 absences. He had 140, 130. He had 70. Like through his career, he he missed a significant amount of school when he was enrolled into an actual institution. Mm-hmm. And then for myself, it was no different. Like my mother would often give us both the option of school. So it was, do you want? Oh. And of course, any child is going to say no, <laughs> unless there's a fun thing planned at school. Why would you right. go? Right. And right. so either it was I had the option or she was sick or we were away or, you know, it was literally any number of things that could come up that would inhibit me from going to school. And when I was born, it was quite literally like, no, you can't go. I need your help. And so it was for the first like I remember for the first, I think, month that we had him mm-hmm. home. I was sleeping on this tiny little love seat, like sectional piece that she had. And so she was on the longer one and I was on the shorter one. And then there was a coffee table between the two of us. And we put in between the two uh, of the couches and moved the coffee table back. And so she'd get up to breastfeed him and then she'd go back to sleep. And I would, you know, burp him and I'd change his diaper, Wow. Rock him to bed, put him back into the bassinet. She'd wake up, she'd feed him. So it was very much like... Yes, there was a super, super codependent relationship, I think from the get go, when my mother was not in a relationship with the man, I, she was very, very dependent on me. And so mm-hmm. I got into a lot of conflict, because at one point, she would rely on me so heavily. And then the next point, I'm still there. And she's like, No, 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 I don't need you. Like, you're not the parent. But yet, I'm taking on half the responsibility. of parent, Right? So we still, till this day, do not agree on that. She still believes as though I've inserted myself um, and that I've taken it upon myself to embody this role. And I also, of course, disagree with her and feel as though I was forced into this role. And so it's like when I was moving out, it was a no-brainer for me because I was like, well, now I'm not only just forced into this role, but I feel obligated because how could I leave him knowing that this is my role?
0: I'm just blown away because I think of my son and the first month that we had him and it was the same thing. And, but you were doing that role. Like I was breastfeeding my son and then my husband was taking the next shift, which was changing him and making sure he was back to sleep. Yeah. So you really were, does he see you as more of a parent because of that than a sister?
1: I don't know. To be honest with you, we've had some, Conflicts in that regard because I definitely do believe he sees me as more of his sister because of course mm-hmm. like, that's the relationship we had first and so putting it into context when I was not with my mom um, and even before I had moved out all of his Mother's Day presents were something something that he gave to me and it was a really it was really funny for me but obviously not funny for her when. <laughs> 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 yeah. when she I was in the car one day and she picked Nicholas up from school and he goes Sydney I made you something today and it was literally Mother's Day and it was a Mother's Day present and he gave it to me and she was so offended and I remember her like ripping out of my hands and being like that's for Mother's Day and he goes yeah I know that's why I'm giving it to Sydney and then coming into my care uh it was like a no I don't want to say a complete 180 but it's very much oh was, it was very much like that was removed and it was more like okay well happy mother's day and like that's really you know what i mean like it's not yeah the same and that's totally fine because obviously he's getting older and he grows up but i will say that yeah that has come up often where it's like i have to remind myself that i am his sister i'm not his parent and I I think back to the movie of Lilo and Stitch because I didn't realize how much I loved that movie. I didn't realize why I loved it, but I Mm. realize now as an adult and looking back and going through all these things, I'm like, whoa, I was (laughs) Nani. He's Lilo. It's like, you know, this whole to-do and I watched this thing on TikTok, which like literally brought tears to my eyes, but it was the audio, of her saying, I like you better as my sister than my mom. And so I've had to really do my best to embody his sister that he needs and not the parent Mm -hmm. that he needs despite me always feeling as though i've taken on that role and despite even him recognizing that at times it's it's a lot healthier if i do my best to support him as a sister in a guardianship role than it is to try to take on you know that parental figure as i've tried and failed to do in the past so it's a lot better if you know, we come to each other as siblings and then we prioritize that above all else, but mm-hmm. sprinkle in okay. the, this is my responsibility. So we gotta, okay. right? We gotta work with the responsibility we have while still maintaining the siblinghood that we share.
0: It must be really hard to strike the balance, but there's no balance here because we you're prioritizing siblingship and it sounds like you found the good ratio Yeah, that works for you guys. Oh, I'm so happy. Can you tell me why your mom was like this
1: yeah so i mean of course mine is an understanding that i've developed Mm on basis and bias um and i'll even i'll refer back to my little medicinal mushroom trip i had which gave me the most profound understanding but i was thinking about a time when i had gotten frustrated and i wanted to raise my voice and my baby was already screaming, Nicholas was already frustrated, and I was kind of just really feeling it in my emotions. And out of like, just pure frustration, I was like, I need to be left alone. I was like, you guys need to leave me alone. I need I need to decompress. I need some time. And that obviously only made things worse. And so after calming down and coming back to it and resolving it in that moment in time, that had been <laughs> put into my brain into a box and put away. And then when I had this little trip that came up and it surfaced for me and the guilt was sitting there like I shouldn't have done that. And, you know, that that's where those cycles continue is when those things pop up and we don't regulate effectively in that moment. Right. And then basically what I was able to understand through that trip, I was like, okay, well, I did that because my mom yelled at me. Why did my mom do that? Because they yelled at her. And then why did they Mm -hmm. do that? Because they were yelling at them. So it was kind of like this. That's when I had the epiphany of intergenerational trauma. And what it truly means to not be aware of these and just have them project off of you. So Mm -hmm. I, from my understanding, took it as my mother was wounded at a very young age, did not have a healthy relationship to model after, had severe insecurity issues in terms of her own self-confidence was always looking for external validation acceptance from her father, never really felt completely safe within her own home. Um, And then in that regard also made poor decisions, obviously after the fact. So she ended up just basically trying to replicate her mom's and dad's relationship uh, and failed because they were all just far, far more volatile. So Basically, I believe my mom is the way she is, is because of uh, an accumulation of a lot of unhealed mm-hmm. uh, and wounds that she's not prepared to go back and dig into. So one of the things that's constantly come up is my mom will apologize. She will apologize. She'll say she wasn't conscious or she wasn't aware or she didn't mean to or she didn't understand what she was doing. Yet, I find that very hard to believe because now having conversations um with her and even looking back at past ones it's like she's manipulative enough to take accountability for it in the moment and to apologize for it
0: mm-hmm. but then
1: the follow-up isn't there with the actions. so the actual uh, accountability and making the changes because what i always say to my kids is sorry means i'm not going to do it again not that it fixes it so you can't say sorry and then repeat. That's not what sorry means. Sorry means you are apologizing. You acknowledge what you did wrong. You're not going to do it again. Whereas my mom is like, sorry to get off the hook, you know? Right. So I understood through a hypnotherapist that I had seen at one point that we very much pause in a way. Our, our development pauses at the first kind of sign of trauma or our first massive traumatic experience. And in passing with my mom, she said, she's like, you don't even want to know what I witnessed when I was like three or four. And so, and right. And so where she'll share certain things with me, she won't share other things. And so I have a very faint picture of what it was, but because of my own childhood, and then also what I witnessed on the side of my Baba and Guido, and knowing what I do about Mm -hmm. their childhoods. So just to give you the connection, long story short, my mom is the way she is because of childhood intergenerational trauma. However, my Baba was the she was like one of eight children or one of seven children to a basically cocaine addicted parental figure mm-hmm. and who was using while she was pregnant. She was born with multiple birth defects. Child protective services came, took all the children away, put them into foster care. The children were adopted out of foster care and then the only reason why she was adopted was because the family who wanted her sister was told that they have to take her as well because she's the last one. She was ended up given a lot of um I'd say unfair, and possibly abusive treatment, which then, of course, was internalized. And then when she went off to leave the house and marry my Guido also had a lot of childhood trauma that was internalized. And so he became an alcoholic, she became a housewife, and they decided to have babies right away. He would work all day, come home and drink at night, babies were there, she's taking care of the babies, babies are witnessing him drunken, you know, maybe acting volatile, violent. Physically, emotionally, mentally, verbally, and I I remember myself like sometimes I would very seldom, very seldom witness my Bob and Guido have little spats. Never. Mm-hmm. But I always thought I was like they mm-hmm. have such a perfect marriage and they love each other so much. What? Why is this happening? And then when my mom made this little comment and seeing her relationships and understanding mm-hmm. why she needed a male's attention so badly everything just started to fit into the perfect puzzle right like yeah my mom being addicted to substances well that runs in the family right and then also in the regard of acting volatile or becoming violent that runs in the family and then talking about child productive services intervening like Mm -hmm. all very intergenerational themes and cycles that have been for a couple of generations now and It basically just painted for me the importance of what it means to talk about intergenerational trauma, what it means to bring awareness to it and to heal through it. Because it's truly an aspect that is in some way or another dictating or hurting a lot of people's lives. Most of the people on the planet, till this day, can say they have some form of intergenerational trauma. They just might not be aware Mm -hmm. of it. So Mm -hmm. that's why she is the way she is, is because truly it has been generations of dysfunction. and so. I'm trying to take that dysfunction (laughs) and turn it into functioning. So (laughs) yeah,
0: we're transmuting it. Yes. Where were other family members during your upbringing and when you were being left alone for a week at a time?
1: Yeah. So my mom moved around a lot and I remember that as a baby, you know, the weirdest thing is actually after coming out with my story. I've had my babysitters from when I was a baby in her hometown reach out to me and be like, oh my god, I was so worried about you. I had no idea where you went. So when I was a child, when I was a wee wee little baby, my mother was in our hometown. And then throughout a point of that time, she met a man and moved in with him very early on off the hop. We that was all the way in like Grand Cache, Alberta. So like it would have been at least I'd say seven or eight hours away from where we originally were with all of our family. So to their credit, because my mom moved around a lot, they weren't always there because of where her location was. However, when they would see certain things or I would tell them about what was going on, they had all the power in the world to take it upon themselves and do something about it. And they chose not to. And even at the end of it all, when I was very, very close with my family for 10 years while my mother was estranged with them. After those two family members passed away, uh, they basically reconciled and said that family's more important. And decided to choose her side over mine because of the fact that they basically did not agree with the fact that I was taking him on as my responsibility they thought that I should call foster care, call child protect services and let
0: them
1: them help, right? (laughs) Like they're like, let them, it's not your responsibility. Let them take care of it. And so it just taught me that the reason why they didn't stand up for me, the reason why they weren't there is because they were no different than her anyway. And so Mm -hmm. I find that that's a really big theme is a lot of children don't understand. They're like, or even adults for this matter, they're like, why did nobody say anything? Or why did nobody help me? Or why did nobody speak up? Well, (laughs) oftentimes if somebody's not speaking up, it's because they're like, that's not my problem or they have that internalized within themselves. And one of the harder things I had to realize and become okay with was the fact that they disowned me and they chose not to be there because they are literally exactly like my mom. And the proof of that was my cousin who committed suicide just a couple of months after I got my brother into my care because he at that point in his life was also in a really, really hard space and a very m- mentally challenging space. And, you know, he was going through a divorce, he had to move back into his parents, he had to sell all of his things. Um, and they were not very supportive of him. And I knew that him and I were always very close. we had always discussed those things. And I believe he resonated on a lot of aspects that our parents would, you know, have in common. And mm-hmm. what hurt a lot for me was. He was the only person. Like, I I actually, funny enough, when I got my little brother the day I got him, I called my uncle because I was like, You're gonna be so proud of me. I can't wait to tell you what I did. And he didn't answer the phone, my cousin did. And my cousin congratulated me. He's like, I'm so proud of you. Like this is what needed to be done. I know you're gonna do right by him. And he's like, Dad's out at the shop right now, but I'll get him to call you back later. I'm like, Okay. So that was the last time we ever spoke and because of the fact that my family had realized like my my he did tell my uncle and my uncle called me and he was pissed (laughs) and he was like he he said meanest meanest things to me that I never thought I would hear because I genuinely did think that they were like my mom and dad you know and it was at that moment that I realized that they were not as I thought they were they were not the good people I thought they were they were not the truthful people that I thought they were and so ultimately my cousin ended up committing suicide with my uncle's gun in my cousin's like his brother's vehicle and he made a very loud statement when he left and I found out after the fact that it was because he was and I I mean and through my own experience like I saw it firsthand and I talked to my uncle and be like that's not okay like how you're treating him how you're speaking to him like this is not right that's how Barb talks to me. And he'd always go, oh, no, fuck, no, like, no, 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 like, he knows I'm not serious. And until he made a point to say that, hey, we got to this, this point that was so painful, he didn't want to continue anymore. And he left the pamphlet for the therapist that he was trying to see (sighs) on the nightstand of where he was staying, because my uncle was ridiculing him and telling him that he wasn't man enough because he was seeking mental health help. And so it just really cemented for me that it wasn't just my mom, it was my entire family, mm-hmm. right? And so that means that it's also me and it's also my brothers. and it's also my daughter. Yeah, that I don't choose to do
0: something. Yeah, like,
1: right. So at the end of it all, it was really like it was a wake up call to understand like it was truly my entire family but it was even more of a wake up call to understand that it's going to be me and my family mm-hmm. we do not do the work to make sure that it's not, right?
0: I'm incredibly amazed by who you are today because everything was against you. And um, it's it's very rare for someone to have all of this stacked up against them and I don't know what happened in your life for there to be a glimmer for you to be like, wait a second, and then to and then to cho- and then to choose that, and then to go that way, at such a young age too, I'm astounded. Thank you. Um, I didn't mean to make you. <laughs> but hey, <laughs> tears are but beautiful and so your- necessary. It's very okay. If so, you were failed over and over again by your immediate family, by your. Um, aunts and uncles, obviously failed by government systems, which we know. If What can people do if they see red flags like this? What could have helped if an outsider had taken action?
1: Honestly, one of the biggest things that I think needs to be realized is that I truly believe that children are everybody's responsibility. In my opinion, if you are an adult and you see a child is enduring verbal, physical or emotional abuse, it's on you to speak up. It should be on you because, I mean as easy as to say, it's not my problem. It's gonna be your problem in 20 years when that kid is a part of society and can't function. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yes. And those things begin to perpetuate and then they have kids and then your child is now with a toxic partner. And, you know, so I really do believe that the biggest thing that people can do, and I know what would have helped me is just having somebody stand up for me at, at least once. That would have been mm-hmm. the world to me to see that somebody not only saw what was happening, that they were strong enough to contest what was happening because nobody did that. Literally nobody. And it was multiple points in my life when nobody stood up for me that made me feel, okay, this has to be me. And that is the case. I should just do what my mom says and end it for her right now and put her out of her misery. And I believe the only person that I could say really kind of stood up for me one time Because I know he'd like to say it was multiple times, but I really mm, sometimes didn't feel like that. But my older brother, when I was, Hmm. I I made my first attempt when I was 13 years old, he basically was like, mom, look what you're doing to her. Like, look at what you're doing to her. And that wasn't even enough for her to open up her eyes and to realize what was going on. But I do remember him sitting there crying with me and, you know, kind of like, for lack of a better term, pleading with her to be like, wake her yeah. up. Like, what are you doing to my little sister? Um, and then that was very short lived. Like he would, I would call him and be like, hey, this is happening. And sometimes, sometimes he was there and sometimes he wasn't. Um, there was this one time where my mom was like blackout drunk and like literally trying to kill me. And I was like, my little brother was sleeping upstairs. She had like this crack addict in the house and I was
0: oh god, so
1: bad. And I was just trying to stay alive. And so I had locked her, like I pushed against the door and put a, like a stool up (laughs) underneath it so it couldn't move. And I'm holding it there and I'm like calling my brother. I'm like, you need to come and get us. You need to come and get us. And so at that point he did, but then he didn't really witness anything of, what was happening other than what I told him and the next day when her mom was like where's the kids he tried to explain it to her but couldn't really get through to her and so you know in that regard while it's like kind of gray area like you can only do so much I'd say that was the only person who really made Mm -hmm. some sort of effort and even that at times I felt very betrayed by the effort because it was like lack of it was like oh I did my best and then well you have to go back there anyway you know, and so, or it was a lot of, um, I think it was a lot of, well, I just don't know what to do or where to begin. So how can I? And when my little brother was nine, he started saying the exact same things that I was saying when I was like ready to attempt when I was 13. And so I told my brother, I was like, we are not waiting. We can't wait. We need to get yeah. out. And at that point, he also contested me and he thought that it was going to be fruitless and that there was no way we had any chance. But I just wasn't willing to play those odds. So I think that the biggest thing that people can do is just really speak up, like actually say something, especially if you're in a public place and you see it. Like anytime I've seen like somebody say something fucked up to their kids, I'm like, hey, I was like, unless you want them saying that to you, don't say it to them at all. And people really don't like that. Yeah. Um, but I'm just not willing to sit there and have a kid think that they're the problem and be told that they are the problem when it's never the child's fault. It's always the parents, in my opinion. So the biggest thing people can do is obviously you need to call your local authorities and your CPS caseworkers or local services so that it's documented. But like I said today in one of the videos I make, just because you document it doesn't mean it's dealt with. So my biggest thing is stand up, advocate, speak on it speak to it Um, but more than more than anything like do your best to be there if it is a like one of the biggest things is if it is a like a child at your school and you're a teacher reporting Mm -hmm. it but making their life easier as as Mm -hmm. possibly easier as you can like I had some teachers who made my life super easy and I had some teachers who made it hell and it was the difference was night and day like I felt so supported I I felt so taken care of at school school was like my safe space in high school because of certain teachers and then at the same time there was years when it wasn't because they didn't have those teachers anymore and they decided to make it difficult Um, if you're a person who is literally just a coach making sure you're taking care of the child by actually being observant of the child what are their cues like my little brother was so anxious and so scared all the time that he had holes in his clothes on his sleeves and on his uh, collarbone or mm-hmm. on the collar of the shirts. And he would always like turtle. He'd wear a hoodie and turtle up like this and hide himself because he just didn't want to be seen. And he was so anxious. So it's being a friend to children, you know, being a support, like actually sitting down with the child and be like, "Hey, you don't have to hide. Like, let's let's put that away. Like, what's making you feel so anxious?" being a being a shoulder to lean on you know Mm -hmm. Um, some people may be like well I don't know it's I'm I'm just a neighbor or I'm just this or I'm just that well it just takes one fucking person yeah like it really does take one person I'm proof of that whether it's my little brother or not it really does only take one person to show that they care to really make a child's life because I, like I said, I really didn't feel as though I had anybody in my corner for a really long time. And that put me in a super deep place, dark as hell. That could have resulted in me not being here today. The only reason yeah. why I am is because I was like, someone needs to take care of my little brother. So, yeah. it's, it's just really, really important, I believe, for people to understand that anything goes a long way. And a random act of kindness, being genuine with somebody, giving them a yeah. the space to talk or to breathe standing up for them, speaking up if you see something wrong. Anybody can do anything. It doesn't have to be the full extent of taking on a child as your responsibility, but doing fucking something is better than nothing, you know what I mean?
0: Yes. Yes, there are all there are always ways that we can be a safe space or at least provide validation. Yeah. With very minimal effort on our on our part. It really doesn't take much.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So you have you've had all this Everything stacked up against you. You were vulnerable enough to tell me that you made an attempt. You had have gone through incredible hurdles and you're still here. And we both know that there's a reason for that. So can you tell everybody what you are doing with your experiences to make the world a better place?
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of my biggest fears in my postpartum experience with my daughter was... Giving her a world like this (laughs) for coming out into the world like this, to be honest with you. And so one of the biggest things that I wanted to focus on was, you know, being the change that I wanted to be, being the change that I needed and kind of trying to heal the world. Like literally, I'm like, okay, well, how, how do I do this? Well, the world needs healing. We're pretty effed up. We need some help. Yeah. So I started thinking to myself was like, okay, well, if I heal myself, I heal my family. And if my family is healed, then it's time to heal my friends. And if my friends are healed, then it's time to heal the world. And so what I'm really focusing on is uh, with My Healing Me and We page on Instagram, just talking about international trauma and bringing awareness to that. But then likewise, helping people move through that. So what I've been doing for the past two years is taking on -on one-on-one mentors uh, or being a mentor, I should say, for people Mm -hmm. doing one-on-one mentorship where we really sit down and we get into the nitty-gritty of why your life is the way it is. One of the superpowers <laughs> I'll say that my trauma has gifted me and yeah. I'm trying to, you know, make useful is the fact that I am just hyper um, analytical and I'm hyper observant. And so if someone sits down with me in a discovery call, uh, normally it takes me no more than 45 minutes to get them figured out and to see, okay, this is what you need. And that's just because I believe that because intergenerational trauma is so connected to so many aspects of our lives it's really easy to identify it when you're aware of it so i sit down with people i'm mm-hmm. aware of these cycles i ask them some self-reflection questions that kind of embody a little bit more of this awareness within themselves and then utilizing the information that they give me in that call i build them a complete customized practice uh project basically is what i call it and for the month we sit down together we do these practices that will be like for example If someone needs to let go, we do forgiveness practices together. Somebody needs to heal their mother wound, then we do what I like to call, it's like the umbilical cord cutting ceremony, which is really powerful. And so one of the biggest things is that at the end of the day, I kind of just try to take my experiences and take the healing lessons and techniques that I've had to use for myself, and then I give those to other people. And I've had a lot of really great success over the past two years I'm really proud of, There's been a lot of women who women specifically, I'll say I have yet to have one male client, but I have had so many women come into my life and tell me that I've transformed it for the better because of the fact that I was able to give them a safe space. I was alternate to therapy. I think that a lot of people on their Mm -hmm. is like, oh, I need to go to therapy. But some people, it just doesn't resonate or it doesn't work. Yeah. And I was in that same boat. So I really wanted to kind of make myself accessible for a lesser amount of money than what therapy would be. And so I'm like, I love that you're like, oh, I'm like your woo-woo bestie. I'm like your healing girl bestie. I am like like the healing friend who's like, okay, you get 24-6 support. So I'm going to be there. If you need me, you call me. Um, I give you your customized practices. I hold your hand through it all. We have weekly check-ins with each other so we can talk about life, talk about blockages, talk about mindset. And then at the end of it all, we really get down to your goals and I make you an actual clear plan on how to get to them. So, um, I mean, for example, I've had clients come in with financial wounds. I've had clients come in with parental wounds. I've had childhood wounds. I've had relationship wounds. And all of it, I'm like, girl, I got you. (laughs) I'm like, I've already been through this. So this is how we're going to deal with it. And I won't lie. I've had some clients who are so funny because I'll be like, I warn them. I'm like, hey, at any point in time, if you're not ready to conduct this healing, you let me know. We'll have open communication and I will be here when you need me. And I've had two clients who, after working with me, realized what they were living in in terms of their relationships. And made very, very large life decisions after working with me for two months. And then they like pieced. They were like, "Oh, wow, I just did a lot of really, really intense work. That was really transformative. I don't know if I'm ready to do this. And uh-huh. Like months after the fact they're like, okay, so I'm back and I did this, and you'd be really proud of me. And then they <coughs> to me how like they've integrated every single lesson I've taught them. And then they're like, "You're right. I'm sorry, it took me so long. I'm like girl, no. Healing is on your own time. Everyone's journey is different. I warned you. I told you this was going to (laughs) hurt. So it's really fun. So honestly, I've just been trying my best to be a resource and be a tool for people so that they can have some support and really just be the person that I needed for other people on their healing journeys because... It's like if you can give yourself the upper hand and heal a little bit faster, why wouldn't you, right? So that's what I try to do. I try to make people aware of their intergenerational traumas and then help them heal through it, so they can get to the lives that they actually want to live outside of that. You know.
0: You gave me fuzzies in my tummy (laughs) because, oh, how good does that feel when someone calls you like you like lean into that, Sydney like. When people call you back and they say you were right. The whole, like, no. you have a superpower and we, you need to be like, it's my superpower.
1: Yeah. That's it, awesome. It felt really good. And it feels really good just to like, um, even just putting my story out there and having people be like, wow, I'm not alone. Like reading your story helps me feel so much better. It's like that alone is so healing. Mm-hmm. I have, like I get the fuzzies in my tummy when I read that. Oh, <laughs> I get what you mean.
0: <laughs> and then you are making a resource as well
1: yeah so i a little while ago put a poll on my stories to ask about how anybody would feel if i made a like healing with the menstrual cycle book or webinar or anything like that because it's one of my biggest tools i'd say um specifically being a female healing through intergenerational trauma i was having to identify what exactly the themes were with my mother and what they were within me because admittedly you know being unconscious to a lot of my mother's relationship patterns sure i had witnessed it firsthand but as a teenager i didn't realize that i had internalized those things right so going into my first relationship and then my second both of those were consecutive and they were four years ish each so And I started dating when I was 14, so it was super, super young, super um, uneducated and unintentional. And so I noticed that the themes within myself that were the same as within my mother and my Baba were were shadow femininity, you know, they were, they were the wounded femininity. And I asked myself, I was like, how the fuck am I going to heal through that? You know, like, how do I tackle that? And it was sitting with me one day and I was just kind of trying to sit to myself and be quiet and understand why I was feeling so depressed and so negative on my period. It was like the week before my period and I was like so depressed. I was feeling incredibly not okay. Like, you know, things were just really bad and I didn't know how to kind of take care of myself. And it clicked. I was like, this is the most feminine thing that I could possibly be doing (laughs) is menstruating. And I'm yeah. sitting within my shadow femininity and I'm in pain because I haven't healed through that. So how do I heal my femininity? Well, it's through my menstrual cycle. So I started to think about the four phases of the menstrual cycle and mm-hmm. educate myself on that. And so basically what I've done is I had a webinar where we sat down with myself and a few other ladies and we discussed the four phases and how you can utilize each for different areas of your healing. So for example, the menstrual phase, which is the first little bit of your period, is literally about letting go of what was in the past that is no longer serving you. So one of the biggest things I talk about in the resource now that we touched on in the webinar is that it's the best time to whatever is coming up for you, let go of or try to let go Mm -hmm. of. And so I realized that at that time, the reason why I was so depressed is because I was holding on to this wounded femininity. Like, why can't my mother and I have a healthy relationship? Why can't she do this? Or why can't I do that? um, why, you know, am I unable to create or why do not I why do I not feel comfortable in this? And so it basically helped me to just let go of the fear, let go of the lack of confidence, let go of the wounds I was holding on to, the hatred, the hurt. And I really just started to utilize every sort of or sorry, I started to utilize every menstrual phase as an opportunity for me to routinely tend to what I need to let go of. And that started to really help increase my healing abilities because I found that when I was actively focusing on every single month, listening to myself, connecting to myself, and tending to and letting go of what is coming up at that time, I had like this big weight lifted off my shoulder because it wasn't me sitting in that sadness anymore. It was me sitting with it and then letting it go, right? And then... You know, same for the uh, follicular phase and for the mm-hmm. ovulation phase and for our routines, kind of like really getting down yeah. to the emotions that come up at that time. I noticed that after my fear, my after my period, I felt very renewed. I felt very energetic. I felt really happy and full of, you know, optimism. I was like, okay, now, now we're done with that crap. (laughs) I can get back onto my life. Right. Yeah. And so I found that because my energy was so high and it was so positive during those times, that's when I started tending to my goals and my life planning. And, um, rather than being pessimistic and thinking, how am I going to make this happen? I really stepped into that Victor mentality of this is my vision. I don't care how it comes to be I'm just manifesting it to be and universe is going to take care of it from there. So I started to utilize that energy to really look at my life and to build my future with and to tend to my goals. And then going into the ov- like, like, ovulation phase, is really about chemistry and creation. Like I started to think about, okay, well, what in my life can I recreate? What can I reimagine? And so at that point in time, it was shifting from a victim mentality into a victor mentality. So then being a victim and, you know, oh, well, I really want this, but I don't know how I'm going to get it. I would write down what I wanted on my vision board and I would sit there and I'd literally contemplate and speak to the universe. Okay, I'm co-creating this with you. And then I would start rather than being like, oh, I'm manifesting it. Yeah. I would okay, well, yeah. this is my active manifestation action for how this yeah. is going to come into existence. <laughs> and then um, another thing with that is it also ties into like cleansing your sexual trauma during that phase. You know, I had a lot of sexual trauma as a child, just due to my mother and how she Mm -hmm. and the actions she chose. You know, Um, my mother did not choose very great child care resources, and for that reason, I ended up having um, some instances where I was molested and abused. And so, for me, uh, I had to look at that phase of my cycle as rather than listening to my primal instincts and wanting to, you know, do the do intended those needs it was much more of a reconnecting with myself and utilizing the energy to go back and cleanse that energy. Because yeah. I really do believe that, you know, sex is an energy exchange and energy is stored within the body. And so one of the areas mm-hmm. that gets stored the most is our sacral chakra, because that's our emotions, mm-hmm. right? So what I would do during that time is I would start to use yoni eggs. I would do, um, you know, steams. I would start to do special baths and, just really mm. tend to that femininity without doing it in the way that society tells us we need to. And yes. then, of course, getting ready for the last phase, you know, you're PMSing, you're kind of becoming more sensitive, you're falling back into those more heightened emotions. That was the time that I used to just go quiet and to really sit with myself and to journal, do some self-reflection and kind of prepare for what I was going to like go up once I got into the swing of things. Because when I was menstruating, I was letting go of it, right? But in that mm-hmm. previous phase, um going into you know PMS symptoms and kind of getting ready to, it was more of a okay, well, what's what's coming up for me right now? What in my life is frustrating or feels blocked or feels not right? And then I would use that uh as basically an opportunity just to reflect and choose what it was I was going to focus on letting go during that time. And it was really great. We had such a beautiful webinar and. It was really nice to see so many people like warning. Cause it was weird to me that yeah. like a lot of people were like, no, the period is at the end. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's the beginning. <laughs> I was like, that's the yeah. start. And, um, yeah. and also within that book, I've just given some natural things that I utilize on a, on a monthly basis for those things uh-huh. so my favorite products my favorite techniques and why and yeah so if anybody was in the webinar they got that for free but if you want to find it it's going to be up on the link in my bio soon i'm just putting on the absolute final touches and then i'm so excited to launch it because i think it's comes like it's honestly come to be like something that i feel every woman should take into consideration it's like we have this really really amazing monthly cycle that is synced up with the moon for a reason it's a really great thing to utilize so you can do it for yourself and actually take on the healing that is meant to provide to you during that time.
0: I couldn't agree more. I could talk to you about this all day. I love doing cyclical rituals, not just around your period, but like, yes, rituals with the moon and also like bath rituals with the cycles of the moon. Oh, what a beautiful way to be like for consciousness to be in line with your body's instinctual cycles yeah, right, right? It's
1: mind body and soul so it's like yes. if one of those is out of balance you're gonna feel it so this is something yes. like women i fully believe like we have a very spiritual connection so why not take that most spiritual connection you have the ability to create life and create with it you know heal with it move with it flow with it rather than be like fuck i'm on my period i hate everything yes <laughs>
0: Yes. Yes. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I completely adopt and value your, your mindset around this. I couldn't have said it better. I love So before we go, I do have five fun questions for you. Do you have a current favorite podcast? Oh my gosh. That's actually a great question.
1: Okay. I don't have a current favorite podcast, but I do listen to okay. a lot of audiobooks okay <laughs> and I would say right now um one of the favorites that I'm listening to is kind of off topic but it's rich dad poor dad and it's because like I'm reading the book and I'm trying to like heal my own financial wounds that my mom put on to me mm-hmm. and yeah. I'm realizing as I'm listening to it that my mindset is the rich dad and my mom's mindset is the poor dad and it's like very cool to look at and see that it's not just me in this and that it's a very common theme that many people struggle with is the money wound. So, while it's not yes. a podcast, it is an audiobook.
0: <laughs> right. That's that's totally fine. I always feel a little bit awkward if I ask that question cuz I not kn- I know not everybody is a podcast person, no, but I have heard that book before. Yeah,
1: I love podcasts, but I find that like when I'm listening to something, I'm like I really need to like learn. Like I love I can't read like fiction. So, like, if I'm driving in the car, oh. it's, like, I, I need to learn something or listen to music, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, that's why I do it. Yes.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, what's your go-to comfort meal? Oh,
1: my God. Um, I'm Ukrainian. So, it's definitely okay. Ukrainian food. I'd have to say, like, Petishke, Perehe, halepchi, like, all the all the Ukrainian goodies, like, anything that's got butter and dill cream sauce is probably the answer.
0: <laughs> that's awesome had a Ukrainian student who tried to teach me, not teach me, but like would write Ukrainian stuff on the board and like teach me the symbols. And I taught her two years. Um, and she would bring me Ukrainian desserts and then she made me this salad. What's it called? It's made with beets and it's cold and it has pickles. Oh, She just called it vinaigrette. It was vinaigrette. It was beets, pickles, there might have been hard-boiled eggs. Maybe. I could be making that up. It was delicious. I know. It was so good. They do
1: the best food. Like, honestly, I think it's, like, coming back to my baba. Like, my baba was my happy place, like, my comfort. So I think about it, I'm like, borscht. Like, I, when you were thinking beets, I was like, borscht, but that's not a salad.
0: <laughs> no, it was, yeah, it was, like, chopped up, diced. Oh, it's so- tre- tremendous. Oh, something that your little brother does that you love.
1: That I love oh my god yeah so he does the dumbest shit <laughs> but I love the
0: naturally shit. that's what I love. yeah
1: like I love seeing him just be a kid like he'll be like what if what if and it's like the weirdest most dumb things you could possibly think of and I'm like you know what keep that keep the what if keep playing the what yeah. if game that's good and yeah. I, rem- I remember like when I'd be like what if everybody would get so annoyed with me she was like it's not it's it's not reality it's a what if I'm like that's what we need to keep you know we need to keep the optimism of what if so he plays the what if game with me a lot and I also really love the fact that like he 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 kind of just is a kid like I love the fact Uh that he's still a kid although he's a teenager I think back to me as a teenager and lord have mercy i was i was awful like i truly did some if either of my children did what i did i would be so upset (laughs) so i'm like you know what everything is as much as he could trigger me sometimes or annoy me i'm like i honestly love everything because he's so much better than what i was and i painful for it you know like mind you completely different dynamics like i had to sneak out of the house because i wasn't allowed to see my friends but at least he's not fucking around you know what i mean like he's an honest kid he does honest things um and even when i do catch him doing something wrong he owns up to it like it's so funny for example pretending that this is his phone like he'll be on it like this and i'll come into the hallway and all i hear is and i'm like i turn i open the door and then he's trying to pretend to be sleeping, and he's like literally just lying there. I'm like, bro, I'm going to taser you if you do not respond to me right now. And then he's like, ooh, don't do that. And I'm like, I was like, I was like, I caught you. I don't know why you even try to pretend. He's like, I don't know either. And gives me the phone, and I'm like, I'm like, good night. He's like, good night. <laughs>
0: like. Wow, like, never a dull moment with a teenage boy. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> honestly, there's nothing that I don't like.
0: I'm glad you're letting him be a kid. I would th- I taught high school seniors and it was always it was a core value in my classroom to let the kids be kids and we had um they would color sometimes. We had stuffed animals in class and you know, writing letters and I think that's super super important. Yeah for as long as they can maintain that yeah, too. Right? maintain that
1: absolutely because like i mean even thinking about it we'll go back and he doesn't remember a lot of his childhood just like i don't remember a lot of mine right it's just drama. right but it's like yeah. it's now it's giving him the opportunity because he is in a safe space to have what he can of it right
0: i wrote i i completely judged you based on what you look like so i could be totally off with this next question would you collect crystals or plants
1: I have, like, so many crystals on... Oh, good! I have so many <laughs> crystals on every window. I, okay. I've i got a crystal here. I've got a... Yay. A- I actually, I just bought this new one before I went to court with my mom, and it's called the Golden Healer. And it felt <sighs> so nice. Like, just to hold it in my hand, it felt very warm and very good. And so I was like, every time I can buy new stones, like, I even... You can see it on my chest, of course. I have the onk, but I even have my own little rose quartz onk, right? So I have one plant, but she's growing amazing. Like, it's so huge. I'm very happy about it. It's a, um, oh, my God. I don't know the actual term of it. It's, 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 it's like the regular term for it is a little racist. So I'm going to keep it out because I don't align with that. But it's so pretty. It's a very long, like, purple ivy plant. And it's like... It's basically down to my floor at this point. I'll have to send you a picture of it because
0: I would love that.
1: Right. It's the only one I haven't killed.
0: Congratulations. Well, I'm glad that I was, I was on point with, with the crystals. My husband had to revoke my credit card in 2020 because I was impulse buying crystals on live crystal sales on Instagram. And I still haven't seen my credit card, but I do have some dope ass crystals from it. I don't trust myself. Like, it's totally fine that he has taken it yeah, from me. That's i that's probably it, no. the Because I,
1: I get what you mean. I've seen those live ones. And it's like, how could you oh, not shit. buy it? It's so
0: I'm sucked right in. Um, what's, what's your favorite tattoo?
1: That's actually a really great question. Ah, oh, fuck. Okay. Uh, okay, in terms of looks, I have to say... Okay. This tattoo because she is the Greek goddess Selene but I have her depicted as an ancient oh. Egyptian pharaoh um, simply because Greece and Egypt collided at one point in time and they had very powerful family dynamics and so the reason why I have her and my other goddess for that instance is because of the fact that I believe in looking at yourself as the as the embodiment of a goddess and so Uh I was kind of bringing some self-love back to myself by putting onto my body what I resonated with so the first one being the goddess of the moon my my co-parent when we first started dating his nickname for me was moonflower and so I very much resonated with that and then Thank you so much for joining
0: me this week for this conversation. If you enjoyed this episode or you enjoy the podcast uh, in general, I would love for you to subscribe so you'll never miss out on upcoming episodes featuring other brilliant minds and insightful topics. Also, don't forget to rate and review while you're at it. Your ratings and feedback mean the world to me and help me reach more listeners. So, Misty loves you. Have the best day ever. Same time next week. Bye.
1: Favorite tattoo, regards, to just intention and the message behind it. It's this guy right here, the mm-hmm. Um just because it's the eye of Thoth thought and the eye of raw on this side. So it's divine masculine and divine feminine. The eye of uh, the eye of thought is supposed to be, you know, that's the feminine, the creative, the life giving, the nurturing aspect of life, and then the eye of raw is that masculine, leading, powerful, um, you know, providing aspect of life. And the Ankh represents divine femininity and masculinity creating eternal life together. So it's the womb up top. And then, of course, it's the man through the right. And so it's it's ever circulating. And so the reason why I have it right here is because when I breathe, it goes in and when I breathe, it comes out. And so that was for sure my most important tattoo, because that's my biggest goal in life is embodying both of those things so that I'm not falling back into those shadow expressions of them, right? So mm-hmm. it's just a constant reminder to myself to be within balance of both feminine and masculine and lead as best as possible with those attributes.
0: I never knew that about the Yong. That's beautiful. <gasps> I love wow. that intention. I'm glad you explained that to me.
1: <laughs> Thank you for listening.
0: So <laughs> can you tell everybody where we can find you?
1: Yes. So you can find me at the Healing Me and We on Instagram and on tiktok admittedly i have not been as present on tiktok as i have been on instagram but i'll get there yeah. i'll figure it out so yes you can find me on instagram mainly and the link in my bio gives you access to my resources um and we're even launching a really exciting like group healing program through the subscription capabilities on that page so if you are interested in working with me but you don't know what to expect that's a really great and cheap introduction to what it really looks like, what the dynamics are, and what you can expect from that.
0: Wonderful. This was such a healing conversation. Thank you so much for joining me this week for this conversation. If you enjoyed this episode or you enjoy the podcast in general, I would love for you to subscribe so you'll never miss out on upcoming episodes featuring other brilliant minds and insightful topics. Also, don't forget to rate and review while you're at it. Your ratings and feedback mean the world to me and help me reach more listeners. So Misty and loves you. Have the best day ever. Same time next week. Bye.